Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. Our goal is to, is to really love God first and then love people and do whatever we can uh, by all means possible to save some. And that, that's our, our mission here. And to make disciples that reproduce disciples. That's our purpose. So an unstoppable force. Uh, you guys are part of an unstoppable force. You may feel like your week's been battered. You may feel like you're, you've had a tough time. You may feel that emotionally, relationally... Um, job-wise, you may be, there may be things that you've brought into the meeting and you're thinking, you know, this week hasn't been the best. But we are part of an unstoppable force. And believe me, when we celebrate communion and the return of Jesus Christ, that's not, not a myth, that's a fact. And we'll, we'll be with him in glory one day. But before we get there, we've got a lot to do. So don't allow the stuff to, that gets into your life, that pulls you down, that makes you feel like I'm less than good enough to, to control your life. You've got to get that stuff under control. I have to. We have to work at it because God's unstoppable force is working through us. I'm reminded of, um, who remembers The Hiding Place, a book that was written by a lady called Corrie Temboon. Uh, she lived, um, she died many years ago now, but she lived through the Second World War. And she said, every experience and every person God puts in our lives is the perfect preparation for the future. Only he can see. And I love that. And you may not know who on earth Corrie Ten Boom was. In some ways, it doesn't matter that you don't know who she was, but she existed and she was a lady that saw hundreds and maybe more than hundreds of Jews saved in the Second World War from the concentration camps by, by smuggling them out through Holland. She was a Dutch lady, a Christian. And uh, she hid them in her house and her family's home. And um, then eventually she was arrested and put into one of the concentration, well, one of the prisons herself. But then it was just before the end of the war, and I believe she was liberated and, and, and things came good in the end. But, but amazing what one person can do. But I love that. Every experience and every person God puts in our lives is the perfect preparation for the future. Only he can see. Only he can see. And we don't always see the future, but he is an unstoppable force. God is way bigger than us. He's way bigger than this church. He's way bigger than anything that you... He's way bigger than the US elections on Tuesday, let me tell you. That is going to shake the kind of... That defies logic, doesn't it? The most powerful... Let me think about this for a second. The most powerful country on the planet with the most powerful people in the world with probably the most financial muscle on the planet still mess up, (laughs) right? Humanity messes up. It does. We watch the fiasco that's going to take place on Tuesday and you look at what humanity can do when it does its own thing the way it wants to do it but we just thank God that he is an unstoppable force and he is a solid rock and on his rock he builds his church and and I just praise God for it so we think about Corrie Ten Boom for a moment but it makes me think about just a couple of weeks ago Liz and I went to Peru and you may be thinking what on earth did they do in Peru well we went to see um, a small group of missionaries from the Americas who are um, connected into AOG in the UK as, as we are and um that's a small group, isn't it? Just a small group of people. But a small group of people can change many, 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 many lives. You know, I was, it was a privilege to go there. And, and these guys originate from the UK. They are UK-centric people who have gone out and they have carried 
a responsibility and they've lived it out. And you may think, well, that's not very many people. But if I just pick on one or two for a second who you don't even know who they are, um, and one of them, um, Mary, there's a lady in that photograph called Mary. She's holding a guitar and that guitar, in fact, she's the one with the green jumper. Mary is actually from South Africa. Mary was a world champion um, surfer. Uh, she, there isn't anything in surfing Mary can't do, even now. And incredible story in her life. And she, she, we, we spent some time with Mary. And right now, God, by his grace, is inc- giving her incredible favor in the prisons in Peru. And she said, I don't know what, you know, it was a moment of vulnerability. She said, I, I don't know why God's doing what he's doing. And she said, it's incredible, though, the prisons, when we go into them, it's just like the prisoners seem to be coming to faith. And in fact, now the, the head of the judicial system in the state, in Peru, is, is, is wanting to come to our Bible studies. And now I said, well, what else is going on? She said, well, actually, the government are really interested now because the prisoners are starting to change and, and we're having prayer meetings and Bible studies. And I said, why are you upset? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you're seeing God move through an unexpected way and she felt like her life wasn't being effective in a strange way. It was just where she was at that point. And we prayed with her and we were able to, to spend time with her. And just along from, from Mary, um, in fact, just in front, the guy who's looking with a, on his knee with a red guitar, his name's Dave. He's, um, he's in Colombia and he's uh, planted four churches with his wife. And they have 2,000 children in, in schools around Colombia. And... His wife right now has a death threat on her life. And when you look at this photo, and his wife's in that photo, when you look at, and then Steve Hobby on the right, the guy holding a guitar, he's from the West Country, and he and his wife, they're living in Cusco, Peru. And it's just, when you look at people's stories, you realise that God is doing immense things. And any one of us, if you took a photograph of your life, you may feel, oh, my life's not been that fantastic. But God is an unstoppable force, let me tell you. And God's got a picture of each one of our lives. I think on God's kitchen wall in heaven, there's photos of each one of us. And he's going, come on, you can do it. You can do it. You are making a difference. My plan is being outworked in you. And you could be on that. You know, it just happens that was by God's grace. We were in Peru. It was tiring, though, high altitude and whatever, but we did sneak out a bit of private time and we went to Machu Picchu. Uh, That was a great privilege, you know. Let me just say that that I was looking back and I remember God has got an incredible sense of humour because I think about 12 years ago I was preaching in this church. I wasn't even on staff, I don't think, at the time. And I remember I was preparing a, a message one Sunday and I decided to pull a photograph of Machu Picchu on the slide and I thought oh this just doesn't fit in church how can you stick a photo of that amazing location and um, and afterwards but I just felt God said do it and afterwards a guy was in our service he'd been a trekker and he came he said what you said just touched my life I realized God's interested in me I've just come back from Machu Picchu and, and I thought you know what the most important thing I did was stick a photo of Machu Picchu in my message and I was able to pray with that guy to, I don't know I've never seen him since but somewhere in this planet, that guy was touched by God in this place. And our plan is that wherever we are, whatever we do, that God will do something amazing in our lives. You know, one, one byproduct of Peru, of course, my family have guinea pigs and uh, our daughters love them. In Peru, they love them, but they eat, they eat them in Peru. 
So I, I said to Liz, you know, that's part of my plan. Sorry about this, you vegetarians and vegans out there. But um, I just thought, oh, it's only like chicken. But they don't really present them in the most flattering way. You just see these little teeth. And <laughs> just, anyway, suffering for the kingdom. But I, I didn't go there. <laughs> Anyhow, so today, you know, this unstoppable force. We're talking about the book of Acts. We're in Acts 14, and we're running through from verses 8 to 20 today. And we are at Lystra now. We're on this first mission journey of Paul's. We're at Lystra. And um, Lystra's a good place, an interesting place. And we're going to dip into the scriptures in a moment. But it's the story of how they moved. I don't need to go through the whole thing again. If you've missed previous weeks, listen to the podcast. But they're on this journey. They're in what is currently modern-day Turkey. And they're dotting around. The Holy Spirit is leading them into, Paul and Barnabas is the them, um, leading them into different opportunities in, mo- in what is modern-day Turkey. And in that first mission trip, they planted only churches in what is modern-day Turkey. And uh, it's incredible that they did that. And God was showing them that he could reach the non-Jews, the Gentiles, with the gospel. And he was doing it in different ways. So initially, Paul and Barnabas, they went to the synagogues. But then God started to take them into different contexts. And now he's taken them into a non-Jewish context. Lystra is the first non-Jewish context he's taken them into where he's about to plant a church. Uh, But they've got to win the lost. They've got to win the disciples. Um, And today's going to be really interesting because in our first three weeks of this series, and we're on week six at the moment, the first three weeks, the first week um, we talked about, in fact, Deborah, I think, kicked it off, didn't you, Deborah? You kicked off the series and you talked about, remember, I can't get out of my mind that story she told of her car and the radio and how she, she changed the radio station because she wanted to have a different atmosphere in her car. And she said, that's what we do as Christians. We put ourselves in a place when we're thinking about God, we turn off what will stop us thinking about God and we make the place, wherever we are, somewhere where God can speak to us. So we create a space. I thought it was one of the best illustrations I've ever heard in my life of creating a place where God can speak. God is way bigger than us, but he will not force himself on us. He will just encourage us. He'll try and speak to us. He'll, I think everybody, I, I, I'm convicted that God speaks to the whole world. I, I am. I, don't, I think God is so great that he will speak to anybody who has an ear to hear. And in fact, I think he's speaking and so often people don't listen. And there are so many people who just don't listen. They're looking at their own thing. They're caught up in their own issues and their own stuff. And in the end, they make themselves God. And it just, I think, frankly, if I was God and, and everybody else around me was trying to make themselves God, I'd get pretty racked off with that. But he's speaking all the time. And I, I'm convinced about it. I'm, I meet people who are not yet saved who I know God is speaking to them. And you can tell in their conversation because something just happened. They'll tell you, just the other day, something just happened. Isn't it amazing? I, was just, I just had this amazing dream. Or I had this, my barber did it the other day. He said, I just happened to be thinking. And then this really weird thing happened. I'm thinking, God is speaking to you. God is speaking into your world. It's just that people get so confused by all the other noises. So we create a place, and Deborah brought it out brilliantly, um, that we create a place where we hear God. That's why our prayer meetings are so important. You may think, I'm too tired. That's exactly why you need to be in the prayer meetings. Because you're so tired, you're not going to go home and pray. You're going to go home, have a meal and sleep. That's what you're going to do. Or you're going to turn the telly off or, or turn it on so you can distract yourself from your day. 
That's what you're going to do. But we have to intentionally create a place where we encounter God. If you don't, that's why we come to church. That's why coming to church on Sunday morning is actually really important. You may say, why do I need to keep going to church? I'm telling you why, because God is here. And you intentionally put yourself in a place where God is. Now, he's with us. The, the word says that God is all over the world. He's omnipotent, omnipresent. But you can be right in front of the most incredible creator of the universe and not even know he's there. Why? Because you're caught up with the stuff that dominates life. And that's what God is doing. He's breaking into people's minds. And today we're going to look at it. And that thing that Deborah talked about, the atmosphere, then Adam brilliantly talked about in week two, our mission starts where you are and with what you've got. It doesn't start with anything else. You don't have to go to Peru to start being someone who's in mission. You get straight into it. In the ARC preschool, you're on mission. You're on mission when you have your pebbles mornings on Monday and Tuesday. Now that's bursting at the seams. We're in mission when you go shopping. You're in mission when you're on the bus. You're in mission on the train. You're in mission in London. You're in mission wherever you are. You're in mission. You're in mission. You don't your Christian life is not here. It is actually out there. It's the mission that God has given us. It's where you are and what you have in your hands that God uses. And then that week three, I'm just going to look at those three weeks. The third week, um, I talked about God brings partnerships into our lives. And partnerships unlock stuff. They unlock opportunities. This morning, as Paul and Barnabas go into Lystra, we're going to realize that they realize something. They realize something. Ask the question, where does faith come from? Where does faith come from? How can we create a God-inhabited atmosphere? What we're about to see is that Paul and Barnabas had moved from creating a space. Remember when they were, they, the Holy Spirit said, send out Paul and Barnabas for the work I have for them? We're now realizing what is about to happen is Paul and Barnabas are going to create a space for others to come into. Now, this is important. We could miss this in the book of Acts. There's a space where we have that God is drawn into, but there's also the opportunity of creating a space for others to be drawn into that. We have to do what others can't do. We, when we're in the marketplace, when we're on that mission, when we're doing life, we are there to create a place for God to inhabit. We create, I hope you can get this. For me, this is one of the most important things about this message. Our job is not only to create a place where God can speak to us, but to create a place where God can speak to others. If we are not creating a place where God can speak to us, you will never create a space where God can speak to somebody else. That is why you have to create that space. You know, I heard yesterday that on average at a prayer conference, Christians on average spend 15 minutes a week praying. How on earth? Is the kingdom of God going to move through people's lives when that's the sum total of their relationship with God? 15 minutes a week. It's madness. Our call is not your job. Our call is not your career. Our call is not even your marriage. Our call is none of these things. Our call is to bring the presence of God into our lives so he can equip us and build us up and form us into his image, but also do the same for other people. That's why we exist. Otherwise, he'll just take us to heaven. We don't need to be doing all the other stuff. Now, the other stuff is a bonus, and we can enjoy all those other things as we... So we have got to create a space where God is drawn in. And so this is what Paul and Barnabas are about to do. I hope you can read that, okay? It says in verse 8 of Acts 14, While they were at Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet. He'd been that way from birth 
so he had never walked. He was sitting, verse 9, and listening as Paul preached. Looking straight at him, Paul realized he had faith to be healed. Verse 10, so Paul called him in a loud voice, stand up. And the man jumped to his feet and started walking. This is almost a a parallel of what happened to Peter earlier on in the book of Acts. But this is now with the Gentile situation. This is an incredible story here because a couple of things are going on. Paul is creating a place for God to meet people. And how's he doing it? It's with his word. He's using the word of God, the the testimony of his encounter with with Jesus himself, because we know Paul met Jesus. Uh, We know that that's what he's doing. He's creating, he's drawing people into his encounter with God. Can you see what he's doing? What Paul's actually doing, he's not trying to be what somebody else wants him to be. Important. Don't think that when we do mission, we are trying to be what you think somebody else needs you to be. You're not doing that. You're being who you are before God in front of other people. That's it. You're being the real you in front of other people. So what Paul does, he doesn't stand up and think, I've got to prepare a preach for these people. He's standing up and letting them see the world of relationship he has with God. Do you see what he's doing? He's creating a God encounter for himself in front of these people. It's wrapped up as preach, but he's actually presenting truth that he's living by. And as he's doing that, these people are able to grasp it because it's real. They're looking into his world. This isn't just a guy trained in a a Bible seminary, been to theological college, who knows the five points of whatever it is and, and this. He's not doing that. That's why sometimes academic study kills faith because it's not about information. It's about sharing relationship with the living God. And what Paul's doing is he's doing that in front of these people with Barnabas, two men in a non-Jewish environment for the first time in his walk, in a sense, in this new place. And this guy, you notice what he didn't do. Paul didn't see a lame guy and go over and heal him. He didn't do it. Hang on a second, this is a guy who's seen miracles already. Why didn't he just go do it? He didn't do it deliberately because he wanted to create a place where God's presence could come in. He was drawing them into God's presence through a grasp of his relationship with God himself. He was letting not only the crippled man who'd been crippled from birth um, see that, he was allowing everybody else to see it. He was drawing them into his relationship with God. That's what's going on here. And the more you realise the importance of that relationship, the more you'll see the power, because he doesn't even pray for the guy. He sees that the guy himself has got it. He suddenly realised that that faith, that faith that he's talking about, God had deposited in that guy's life. Paul didn't put faith in the man's life. God put it in there. And when you meet people, God will be putting faith in their lives to believe in him. All things come from God. Our faith is originated from God. It doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from from somebody else. It doesn't come from your husband, your wife. Faith doesn't come from that. It comes from God. What we do is we build our faith. And we say, God, strengthen and stretch our faith. We develop it. We develop what he's given us. So in this journey, he's created this atmosphere. He's drawing people into that atmosphere And then he sees, he sees this guy. He sees, he sees that this man, there's faith in there. How on earth can you see faith? There's just something about it. There's just, it's a discernment. 
It's a wisdom. It's an, under, it's an insight. It's a Holy Spirit. He just realized that person's got faith. God's dropped faith. He can see something about that guy changed. And when we do mission, we can see it. There are times when you can see it. That you can just see that someone's got it. Once when I was in the Oxford Street outside the 100 Club, and these, I was with all these punks and, you know, in a suit and looking out of place, I was with two guys, and one I could see didn't get it, and one did get it. And I led them both in a prayer of commitment, and the one that got it turned to faith. You know, that's with hundreds of punks around me, and I was only about 18 at the time, on a bench. You know, I should have got beaten up probably, but, but you know, it's an unstoppable force. That's what God is doing in our lives, unstoppable force. It's an unstoppable force. And, um, you know, Jesus, it's interesting. I was looking into this. Jesus didn't do miracles to get people saved. The miracles just endorsed who he was. Miracles will never get people saved. They won't. The scriptures even tell us it. You can look it up in your own time. If you read Luke 16, 27 to 31, or Luke 24, 25 to 27, you'll read that even the resurrection doesn't get people saved in and of itself there has to be a work of God in a moment where his spirit works in someone's heart and faith is deposited and faith comes from a very specific place faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ there is nowhere else to get faith that's why believers have got to hear the scriptures they've got to hear the word of God it has to be in our hearts and on our lips it has to be it isn't just you're a nice person, you go and have a nice cup of coffee with someone. We will never win the loss by sitting down and having a chat about schools. We'll never win the loss by sitting down and having a chat over Starbucks. We'll never sit down and win the loss by inviting them to a barbecue. Now we'll get relationship, but we will never win them. We have to have the word of God active. It's living and active and sharper than any two. It's the word of God. Somehow that word of God has got a to penetrate the way we use language. It has to. That's why those little Gospels that we use at Christmas and that we give out to people, little John's Gospels. I had an e- a phone call this week with someone and I'm the chairman of PTL in the UK and we give Gospels out and every year there's about 50,000 Gospels goes out across the UK to various churches and people who use them in evangelism. And 10 years ago we thought, you know, paper Gospels, there's no future with paper Gospels because everything's electronic, everything's iPads, everything's iPhones, everything's... You know, instant. Well, we just had an order coming from the States for 75,000 Gospels. 75,000. That's almost double our annual use of those Gospels here in the UK. And then I'm discovering that there are more and more people basically just using these little Gospels as an excuse to have a conversation about the Word of God. And it's that Word of God getting into someone's situation that maybe a rhema word, maybe a now word, you're the guys who know what the word is and you navigate the right bit of the word to, to bring into someone's life. Incredible opportunity. So God created an unusual partnership here. The partnership was with the lame man. Right? Paul and Barnabas, but then God supernaturally brought the lame man into partnership in his plan. God will do partnerships in all sorts of different ways, let me tell you. But that guy started to believe he came to faith. William Wilberforce said, um, we are too young to realise that certain things are impossible, so we will do them anyway. Let that register for a moment. We are too young to realise that certain things are impossible, so we'll do them anyway. That's the beauty of youth. 
And the older you get, the more you just get in your ways. And we have to, we have to break those patterns of thinking and say, I'm, you know, as you get a little bit older, once you hit 25, you feel like you can't change anymore. That's how I feel sometimes. <laughs> but Wilberforce, of course, you know, the slavery thing. We are too young to realise that certain things are impossible, so we'll do them anyway. Now, I've got permission to share Sophia's brief story, haven't I, Sophia? Yes. Nod. That's good. She doesn't know what story is. <laughs> this week, just before the prayer meeting, Wednesday, must have been because you are in the prayer meeting on Wednesday and shared this story. On Wednesday, during the day, two friends of Sophia's who led the worship brilliantly this morning and um, was in London on the underground and her and two American friends were just catching up, having a coffee, but on the underground, on mission. On mission. In our underground in London, not a great place to do mission, let me tell you. Most people are trying not to get blown up or stabbed or something I don't know but um, anyway it's not that bad honestly if you're listening to this podcast and you're not from the UK it, Britain's a great place and London is <laughs> London is really it's better than Peru uh, <laughs> anyway so anyway the three of them they're on the underground and they get a little whisper I guess one of you gets a they see a man with a hand that's damaged injured an injured hand and um, one of them has the bright idea why don't we pray for him on the underground. Of course, the underground is like living, it's like being in a public, very small public place, isn't it? It's, it's so tight that one thing happens, everybody knows about it. So, so they decide to, to just share a little bit of faith with this man and then asked if they could pray with him. And he went, all right then, I guess. And of course, they pray with him and lo and behold, he got healed, right? Because they're on mission. They're just wired for it. They see, they see something. Maybe it's their faith. Maybe it's not even his faith. I don't know. Sophia can give you more of the story. But in essence, it happened on the underground. And, and stuff is happening all the time. And I just want to encourage us that God, look at this. We are too young to realize that certain things are impossible, so we'll do them anyway. And I love the fact that that story took place this week. And I heard the Daytime Life Group had an amazing time this Wednesday with the Holy Spirit and, and people getting filled with the Spirit and prophetic words happening. And there's a lot of stuff bubbling up inside the church, which is tremendous. So um, exciting. I'm convinced, you know, that prayer and proclamation precede power. Prayer and proclamation. So we pray personally, we pray as a group, and then we proclaim. We bring the word. We don't preach a set sermon at people. We bring the word of God into their lives and bring an opportunity for faith and stuff will happen. So the first thing was realizing that God is already giving people faith. The second one is recognizing. Um, people think from their own experiences. People don't think from a church experience. They think from their experience, which means that God will take us into situations where we have to change the way we think. Because if they're thinking differently to us, if someone who's not yet a Christian is thinking differently, then we need to think like they think. And so what Paul and Barnabas did was they, they, they were in this non-Jewish environment and then this amazing set of things happened. It says in verse 11, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their local dialect, these men are gods in human form. Verse 12, they decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and Paul was Hermes since he was the chief speaker. Um, Brad, what do you think they should call me? <laughs> that was an in-joke. That was a, Marco. That was a joke from last week. But anyway, if you weren't here, you missed a great thing. So, um, yes, they, verse 12, they decide that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and Paul was Hermes since he was the chief speaker. And then verse 13, 
Now, it just so happened that the temple of Zeus was located just outside the town. So the priests of the temple and the crowd brought bulls and wreaths of flowers to the town gates, and they prepared to offer sacrifices to the apostles. So all of a sudden, they become gods in the eyes of the people. God does something, and they become gods. Uh, and there is a danger, we've got to keep an eye on it, that when God does miracles, that we don't think it's all about us, because it's not. And, um, you know, it reminded me of a little story, a little story when I was a child growing up. I was on a ship, we lived on a ship, my parents were missionaries, and uh, we lived on a ship, and somewhere in the, I don't know where it was, Middle East, Bangladesh, somewhere around that part of the world, um, the ship unusually docked at a very rural location, it was like a jetty. So this ship, Logos, which is the first OM ship, missionary ship, and I was probably five at the time. I remember suddenly all the kids were told, go down below deck, go down below deck. But it was a beautiful day, the ship is moored up. Go down below deck, not allowed to, not allowed to look out onto the, the jetty or to the land. Of course, that's, that's like any young man who's interested in being a rebel. The first thing they do is find a way to look, don't you? <laughs> so, so I did. And I, I found a, a suitable vantage point somewhere where no adult could watch me. And uh, I'm looking out across the jetty. And sure enough, what had happened was the villagers, the townsfolk, had brought out a, an ox or something, an ox with big horns. And they were parading this ox up and down the jetty. And they were about to sacrifice that ox because we turned up as a ship. Now, it wasn't because a miracle had happened. Or maybe the miracle was that the ship was there in the first place. But they decided they were going to sacrifice. And I thought, I'm going to watch this. And, um, but I didn't know it was about to happen. So they grabbed this ox by the legs and whipped it over. They dug a big hole and they offered his head. And that's basically what happened. And I'm thinking, wow. And that was quite a long way away, so you couldn't see all the gory details. But the weirdest thing was that ox jumped back up on its legs. And that is a weird thing because they tied it, but it jumped up because, you know, there's a nervous system twitching. But... Um, that has nothing to do with this preach at all. <laughs> but it was similar. They, were, they, they wanted to offer it. And that's why Paul and Barnabas didn't want an ox to be sacrificed to them. Um, <laughs> just digressing. But it's interesting, isn't it? Why did these people believe what they believed? Um, they did what they did because their context was not Jewish. It wasn't rooted in the scriptures. It was rooted in the Roman poet Ovid. <laughs> The Roman poet Ovid, you might think, well, what's Ovid got to do with anything? Well, Ovid wrote a very, 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 very famous, a very long poem, actually, or collection of writings in a, in a, in a writing, academic writing called Metamorphosis. And uh, you may not know anything about that, but Metamorphosis has been quite influential. And these townspeople knew about this. And in one of his legends that he wrote about, Ovid talked about Zeus and Hermes coming as human beings, into their part of the world. And they suddenly related to that and assumed that what they'd seen must have been that happening. So when you talk about the kingdom of God and what God is doing, people will relate to other experiences in life. It's important to find a way of bringing their experience into a God experience. We navigate them back into truth and what Paul was faced with was the need to do this. Now, the Ovid story, very briefly, was that these Zeus and Hermes came as human form and they went to a thousand homes. They met an elderly couple and um, only that one elderly couple received them in. And as a result, Zeus and Hermes flooded the valley that these families lived in. Everyone was killed apart from this elderly couple who then became priests and they turned their house into a, a temple with marble pillars and a golden roof. So all the people thought there was some visitation from God happening. Well, of course, someone just got healed. 
God had to be involved in it, but they didn't know who God was. So they had to bring the understanding of who God really was. And because they had no scriptural history, and in Britain it's becoming more like that. We don't have people around with much biblical knowledge. It's not their fault, it's just where they are. But what they did was they went straight into looking at nature. Now Zeus and Hermes, Zeus was the god of weather and his son Hermes was the, was the messenger, the Greek gods. Uh, the Romans had the equivalent but with different names. And they were, the, the harvest, the success of harvest was linked to these two gods, Zeus and Hermes. So they believed that the fruitfulness of their harvest was tied to these two gods. So what Paul did was he took them straight on in a conversation. He said, friends, verse 15, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings just like you. We've come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. Verse 16, in the past, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, but he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. Um, for instance, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. And joyful hearts. He was directly touching the point at which the God in their world was affecting their lives. Now, we're not in a world where Zeus and Hermes are, are worshipped, but there are other things that people worship. There are other things people live by. And if, all we have to do is bring God's kingdom into that perception and things will start to change in the conversation. And I think God's doing it a great deal. We know that the scriptures use creation and nature as a way of saying, look, God did this. And don't ever underestimate the power of nature in terms of communicating the gospel. Don't switch it off and think, oh, well, that's just, that's too soft. That's not the hard gospel. You can use anything to get people, but you've got to move them from where they are to an encounter with Christ. You've got to bring them the truth. And you've got to be quite blunt about it. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Don't ever underestimate the power of visible, natural things to influence people. God has established that so people will see his glory. So you can use anything from the sun that rises in the mornings, the, the beauty of the mountains and the hills, if you can see it. You can use that. You can use virtually anything that will relate to people. It's incredible. And Paul talks about it in Romans as well, Romans 1.20, I'm not going to go there, about, about what God has done and the importance of being visible. God's made himself visible in so many other ways. But now get this, we were at this, this conference, um, four of us were at the conference at the beginning of this week, up at um, Peterborough, and it was a learning environment. And we were in a cohort, a group of 10 churches, sharing what God's doing and our plans and strategy for the church and how we're trusting God and how we're seeing God move. And um, one of the pastors or one of the groups that we were with talked about an amazing thing that's happening in Southampton right now. And just down in Southampton, a group of 10 churches just decided to go out and start to pray for a few people and just go into the streets and share their faith one-on-one. -on -one. This, this bring God's presence into their world as they go and let people encounter it. And you know, in two weeks, 10 churches and a small number of people from each church doing this, they saw 550 people pray a prayer of commitment to Jesus Christ. On a high street, on a high street, again, 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, generally speaking, that wasn't, we, you didn't see responses like that. It's important that we understand this, that people are wide open. They're not confident in our economy, they're not confident in the, in, in where we're going as a nation. People are not certain about things, but they're seeking. 
and God is dropping faith into people's hearts, why not pray, God, just bring me an encounter and give me the courage? And, you know, I spoke to one of the guys who's instrumental in just gathering these people together to, to do this. And he said, well, we use the most basic and direct conversation. It's literally very brief. I haven't even read it yet, but you can fit it on the side of an A4, no, a small you know, postcard. The conversation that they'll have with someone. And pe- they said, we are more shocked than anybody at the speed at which people are responding and say, yes, I'd be very happy to pray a prayer of committing my life to follow Jesus Christ. These people don't go to church. So how, I've got to say, guys, I think our community is, is there's a harvest out there. I think there's a massive harvest. When we were at New Wine earlier on this year, we heard about what's happening in Reading. And there are thousands of people who've been touched on the streets by Christians just going out and spending time having conversations one-to-one. The key thing is we've got to get the gospel in. We've got to bring it in in an authentic non-attacking, non-judgmental, um, God way. Make God bigger than they are. Make God bigger than we are. And just bring people into his relationship or their relationship with you. So that's the, the second point. So the first is realize that God is giving people faith. The second is recognize that people are in a place and they're coming from their experience. We just have to touch that and draw them into that encounter and something will happen. But you may be feeling, well, you know what? Life is tough. Life is difficult for me. I've got, a, I've got so much on my plate. I've got problems in my marriage. I've got problems in my finances. I've got problems in my work. I've got problems, I've got problems with my friendships. I've got problems with my kids. I've got problems with my parents. You, know, you may have a lot of reasons to have problems, but you've got to pick yourself up and you've got to set yourself and you've got to get your eyes focused. Steady those shaky legs. That's, that's a scriptural verse, by the way. Make a straight path for your feet and walk. That's what the Bible says. It doesn't say, feel sorry. And it doesn't say that what you're going through is not real. It doesn't say that what you're experiencing isn't painful. It doesn't say any of that. It just says, rise up. It says, get up. Make a straight path to your feet. Steady your shaky legs and start walking. That's what the scriptures tell us. Why? Because God is bigger than our situation. And as we walk forward, we actually walk out of the trouble. We walk out of the problem. And the problem ceases to be as big as God is. That's the reason. And if we allow ourselves to stay somewhere. So what, did, what happened as a result of all this stuff? The rise up moment came unexpectedly. It says here, verse 19, that some Jews arrived from Antioch. Antioch's 100 miles away. Some Jews arrived from Antioch in Iconium and won the crowds to their side. Conflict happened. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of town thinking he was dead. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of town thinking he was dead. That's pretty serious. Verse 20. But as the believers gathered round him, he got up and went back into the town. <laughs> Let me just say for a second. They thought he was dead. They thought he was lifeless and dead. They thought he was. They stoned him and they dragged him out. They didn't sort of politely pick him up. They dragged him, like head banging on the... They dragged him you know, looking lifeless. They dragged him. In your situation right now, you can't be that bad. You can't be. You must be in a place better than that. They dragged him out of town thinking he was dead. Verse 20, but as the believers, do you realise this? As the believers, well, there was only Barnabas and Paul who were believers when they went to the town. So by then, they were already believers. Do you realise that? In the space of this, just probably a couple of days, two, three, a few days, they were already now believers. Because what they did was they brought people into God's presence. They brought, they brought these people into an encounter with God, which was their own encounter. They brought him in. 
They brought them in and he got up. It says, and the next day they left with Barnabas for Derby. They got up and went back into the town. Paul was stoned. Can I have the band with me? Paul was stoned and presumed dead. This left a big impact on Paul's life. This wasn't just a day at the office for Paul. Paul didn't, Paul didn't treat this like, well, that's just what happens to Christian leaders or Christians who are in mission. It was a big deal for him. Luke, who records this in the book of Acts, just makes a simple statement. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of town, thinking he was dead. But as the believers gathered around, he got up and went back into the town. I think some people need to get up in here. I think there are people in here that it's time to get up. It's time to get up and go back. Go back and face that very thing that you thought was dominating your life. Face it. Face it with prayer. Face it with intention. Face it with the unstoppable force that is the presence of God in his kingdom. Face it. Face it. And some of you, I look around this room and I see people who have faced it. You've got up. I see people. I know your stories because you've come and shared with me and we've prayed together. I know some of the stories some of you have had and they are huge stories where you have got up amidst the crisis point where you feel like you have been stoned by the people you work with, by the people you know, by the circumstances you're in. But don't stay in the dust. You've got to get back up and God will give it to you. This is an extraordinary thing. God will give you the opportunity to get back up. Paul, it, it left such a mark on him that when he wrote to Timothy in the book of 2 Timothy, he referred to it. But don't you realise this is incredible because Timothy was probably in the believers watching Paul get stoned. Did you know that? He was probably there. Why do we know that he was probably there? Because when on his next mission journey that he goes to the same place, we read straight away, we read straight away in Acts 17 that Timothy is already a believer. I've got a feeling he may have even seen Paul stoned. We don't know for sure, but I think he may have been. It's incredible what happened. And in 2 Corinthians 11, 25, Paul makes this point right to the Corinthians. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That wasn't too much narcotics. Uh, And three times I was shipwrecked. But he got back up. He got back up and he went back into the town. He went back and he faced, he faced it. He faced the challenge. And today there are people in this meeting that need to get back up. You need to realize, stand up, dust yourself up, straight path to your feet, fix your eyes on where you're going and steady your shaky legs and God will be with you. He'll make it happen. He'll make it happen. You know, this week, the youth had an amazing time. Luke and Vlad, they texted me. You know, we saw three people give their lives to Christ last Sunday in the second service. On Friday night, four young people gave their lives to Christ in Baseline. It's just amazing what God is doing, what God is doing. You know, they created a place intentionally where God could be experienced by those young people. They presented the Word of God. They preached. They kept it eatable. They made it digestible. It wasn't long-winded. It was just to the point. And then they saw an opportunity. They saw an opportunity to bring the gospel and make a challenge. And what happened? Four young people give their lives to Christ on Friday. I think that deserves an amen. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? So as we... So as we... um, Come now, we're going to sing a song. So let's stand now and we're going to sing a song. We're just going to thank God that He is an unstoppable force and that He can lift us from wherever we are and He can focus us on what He needs to focus us on. And now I'll come back.